Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is your captain speaking, Michael Flores. And in the studio and the bridge with me is David. Hello. Hello, everybody. All right. So if you're new to our shows, you can find all of our podcast versions on iTunes as well as Spotify. Just search Star Trek from the holodeck and be sure to leave us reviews and a thumbs up. And if you're watching us on YouTube, give us a thumbs up and subscribe. It does help. Okay, David. So we are currently operating at the stress level of red. <laughs> you're, you haven't gone black. You haven't no. gone black yet. <laughs> no, but I've heard that once you go black, you, you don't, don't go, go back. back. So that's definitely a dangerous area. <laughs> so stupid i'd like to stay black you know what i mean wink wink i don't even know what that means really but <laughs> it doesn't even make sense all right welcome everyone to the show today we're gonna be talking about lower decks oh, this fucking music it's annoying after a while it starts while, off good sounds like something that boimler would listen to it does actually toward the end <laughs> Okay, so we're going to be talking about Lower Deck Season 3, Episode 4, titled Room for Growth. Okay. Those are words to live by, right, Dave? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this this episode is definitely, there is room for growth here. A lot of room. But it. I'm hoping that basically this is a minor blip. Yeah, and what you're <laughs> alluding to is the simple fact that the show seems to, it seems like it's losing something from last year. And I know we're only four episodes in, but at the same time, we're pretty much 50%. It's slowing down. We're pretty much 50% of the way through the third season. So I, I don't feel like we're looking at this in a concerned way too soon. You know, yes, if we had 30 episodes, then yeah, wow, four episodes and we're looking to, we're looking for issues, then yes, but we're dealing with a 10 episode season and I know this is a fun show. I know that, yeah. but the the first two seasons, well, it's also a fun show, but there was substance there and that is missing from these four episodes so far. It's just parody now with not a lot of heart there. Where is the heart of the show that made it feel so sincere to Star Trek? We're losing the character development. For example, in the first season, you arguably, you can say the first season was about Mariner, who was this girl who was insecure. She was uncomfortable in her own skin. She had problems with her mother and her family in general, and it manifested itself um, with her work in Starfleet. Yeah. Uh, then she worked through that, made somewhat some type of peace with her mother, 
but that's what the second season was about. Now you had Mariner working through those, those issues and problems with her mother and they ended up finding common ground. They respected each other. And that's been the story. It's, it's been very focused on Mariner for the most part for the emotional motivation, not to say that Rutherford and Tendi and Boimler don't have a, a part to play. They absolutely do. They but, do. but the emotional motivation, the substance of this funny cartoon has been Mariner. And I don't quite see any of that this year. I see some areas where they could have done that. And in fact, it seemed like that's what they were setting up because if you go back to the first episode of the season where Captain Freeman tells Mariner that he's teaming her up or pairing her up with Ransom, I thought, okay, so now they're going to continue to peel away Mariner's insecurities, her problems with um, how she may want to identify sexually, because we know it's been alluded to for quite some time and some and all but con- confirmed last episode that she's bisexual. Yeah. You know, she's attracted to Ransom, but she's also attracted to to the ladies. The Andorian. Yeah. So I'm like, OK, so we're going to go in this direction now and we're going to see her work through these issues and come to terms with the fact that she does like ransom and perhaps she learns something about herself i'm not saying they're going to be in a relationship by but by accepting that she is attracted to someone it it would actually add to the whole package everything they've been they've been constructing so far for mariner dealing with their insecurities i feel like that's par for the course if they were to delve in to those types of things the fact that she can't be open with her feelings, that she doesn't feel like she can say certain things because at the end of the day, she's not confident with who she is, despite the bravado or the front that she puts out there. And you'd see that you, you would expect to see that even with her interactions with her crewmates, with Boimler and Rutherford and, and Tindy, but they basically don't even go there. Everything is stalled for her character growth up to this point. And yeah, the, uh, I mean, in last episode we were saying they, they showed some character growth with Rutherford and showing more depth to Boimler. That's great. That's great. But we all know that Mariner is the backbone of the story. She's the backbone of the series. So there has to be some myth arc this season that had to be established and be carried on throughout the entire season. An example of this is kind of like when you look at uh, one of the sister shows, Strange New Worlds. The whole crux of this the Strange New Worlds season was what? Captain Pike. And Pike's overall narrative about dealing with dealing with his own, like, notions of destiny and like how can he dodge destiny or should he embrace his destiny in all the episodes every single episode kind of carried on that thread in here in lower decks in season three mariner's story has not really even been established i feel where it's like just like you said episode one we thought oh she's gonna be paired up with ransom so we're gonna see this story now of how Mariner has to deal with her relationships, maybe with other people. Okay. That'd be great. But after episode one and two, we, we don't have anything that shows that she's taking steps to getting close to people. 
it's almost like they basically just sat back and said, okay, Mariner, just be yourself with everybody. That's it. You don't have to do anything. We don't have to elude anything. Everything is just status quo. And for two episodes straight, that's how I feel is like you're, you haven't set up your, you've teased at a myth arc, but you haven't set your myth. Yeah. We're waiting for the, the actual story to start. Mm -hmm. And Dave, you know, this is the reason why I've given the show a pass because I'm not, I'm not a cartoon guy. I like comedies, but it's not my go-to. And I definitely don't want my, my Star Trek being drenched in comedy. Levity is just fine. That's been a part of Star Trek for a very long time. So I was already kind of on the fence when this show was announced Mm -hmm. originally. If you remember, I, I was a little skeptical about it, but it won me over almost instantly because I realized that, okay, well, comedy is just your means of transporting a more sound idea filled with substance. There was a story within that comedy. That's yes. a better way of saying that, that the comedy was simply a part of the narrative that helped, that helped move the story along. If you look at it from that way, it was just fine because the comedy wasn't the point. Yeah. This season moving into the fifth episode. Now it just, Seems like they have forgotten what actually made the show good. And now they're leaning to just simply the easy jokes. I mean, David, anybody can write this. Oh, and, and I don't want to be a dickhead here, but anybody who knows Star Trek can do a bunch of inside Star Trek jokes, jokes, piece them together with some characters and make Star Trek fans laugh. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Know, to uh, a degree. But but not everyone can take that comedy and create something important within that. And that's what they did yeah. so well within those opening two seasons. And now here we are halfway through the season just about, and I don't really see any of that. Well, Am I even, wrong in, in saying this, David? Or No. I mean, and listeners out there, if you disagree, please reach out and tell me. Share with me what you're seeing. Maybe you are seeing something that David and I just aren't seeing. And I'm not... Saying the show sucks by any means, it doesn't suck, no, but it, it is losing suck. its value for me. It's well, losing. Reason, it's losing its steam. That's the thing. It's losing its momentum, and it shouldn't. It shouldn't. You're barely three seasons in, and like it goes to like what I was saying is like you can you can live and die by your comedy. That's fine, but just like what you you alluded to, the strength of season one and season two was the fact that not only did they give us great comedy, but that comedy was laced with substance. It was laced with a sound character arc and character narrative and myth arc that we can follow. And as an audience, we can get behind. Now in, in season three, it feels like the last two episodes, they are solely trying to live and die by the humor. They're working... They're working towards jokes. Jokes. That's it. They're not working towards advancing the story necessarily. They're working or working towards character development. They're now working towards the next joke. And, and when I get- can we tell the next joke? This feels very similar to my issues that I had with the fourth season of Rick and Morty. Rick and, Morty. and the only reason why I'm bringing that up is because there's obvious connections here. Mike McMahon started... I don't want to say started, but he spent four years, I believe, on Rick and Morty writing. And these are the problems I saw with the fourth season. The thing that kept me watching Rick and Morty is not the crude humor. That was funny 
when paired with a very deep, dark, existential story. Yeah. That's what makes Rick and Morty so good is the story between Morty and Rick and, of course, the family. It's a family story. It's a family story. At its heart. That is what makes the show good. And now, and but in the fourth season, they lost that. They got rid of a lot of the, the substance and exchanged it for some bizarre, really perverse, crude humor. And I don't mind bizarre, perverse, crude humor if it's paired with substance. Yeah. And that's what I feel is happening with this season here of Lower Decks. It's losing the substance, the reason why we care about a show, and just substituting it for joke after joke. And I, and I understand because there might be some listeners who are watching along with us and saying, well, they are trying to tell a story, but it's more or less kind of like a lesson of the week. You know, today's lesson was about how um, the captain for stress purposes doesn't understand her own crew. And this is how some people deal with their stress. People are quote unquote different. Okay. But that doesn't tie into your overall character narrative. It doesn't push anybody within the main narrative or main cast forward. It's great to give a lesson. That's great. But if that lesson has nothing to do with your, your, your overall story, what was the point? And that's when you have bad writing when it comes to stories, especially I see it in, in a lot of cartoons because I watch cartoons all the time. Bad cartoons use lessons of the week and it turns into, you know, the atypical PSA GI Joe knowing is the way the bat knowing is the way and knowing is the way of battle, right? That what, it, that's what it leads to, but good overall storytelling using lessons of the week. You, that's where you get like stuff like what you got in season one and season two of lower decks you get in prodigy where it's, Lessons of the week, yes, but it pushes the, the story of your characters forward. There's intimate stories there that basically help mold these characters. The, the lesson this week, I kept thinking to myself, it had nothing to do with any of the characters. Uh, yeah, Rutherford's there. He's participating in it. But Rutherford really never had any problems with, <laughs> with, with you know, being Rutherford never really had any problems with being stressed or having to express himself. We already had that story. I mean, that's a story that we had last season with Rutherford. That's fine. Yeah, it seems a little strange. There was an article. I usually don't get into sharing other people's thoughts because I feel like, um, just to be a little arrogant here, I feel like we do a much better job breaking down <laughs> shows than most other people. Because we get into the nitty gritty. However, there was a guy from uh, Darren Mooney from TheEscapistMagazine.com who wrote a few thoughts on Lower Decks. He made some points that I haven't really noticed before, but after I read what he had Scene and how he explains lower decks it does make sense and and i'm bringing this article up mostly as a rebuttal because because usually david you and i are on the same wavelength with shows and mm -hmm. i don't want our show to become completely one-sided so i feel like it's appropriate to share this guy's thoughts now one thing he actually points to as a 
as a positive to Lower Decks. He says one of the more interesting aspects of Lower Decks is the extent to which the show approaches Star Trek as a workplace franchise, essentially a fictional universe populated by highly competent individuals who are very good at their very interesting jobs. And then he says this is hardly a novel approach. The Next Generation, uh, the show to which Lower Decks is most obviously indebted, is perhaps best understood as a television show about a bunch of people who happen to work together on a starship. Certainly, the spirit of the next generation arguably lives on its purest form in Mike Schur's modern workplace sitcom like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or Parks and Recreation. It makes sense for Lower Decks to lean into this. Many of Lower Decks' best episodes work as metaphors about navigating the modern workplace. And he says the show's third episode, which is from the first season, Temporal Edict, was about the importance of buffer time, uh, the futility of expecting staff to operate at maximum efficiency for the duration of their working time. And I'm not going to go into all of this. I will post a link on our webpage version of our show when it goes on demand so people can peruse through. There's some interesting thoughts here. Hmm. I never really looked at this as a bit of a metaphor for the workplace. And he, he's absolutely right. That is definitely. Um, an aspect to the show, but even that though, it's an interesting look doesn't quite justify the lack of substance only mm-hmm. because we had it for yeah, the first two seasons. For the first two seasons. If this was the show from the very beginning that I wouldn't be sitting here talking about where's the substance. I would have come to get used to that. I'd either a have just gotten used to it or B not even be sitting here right now. Cause I probably wouldn't be reviewing or discussing the show yeah. because I don't have time to discuss things that don't have substance. So that being said, David, though this is an inter- interesting look from escape is magazine. I don't fully feel like it justifies the lack of substance from this season or no, of this season. No, absolutely. Because like, I totally understand where both of you are coming from. I mean, like, I understand what Mooney's saying by basically bringing up the fact that Lord Dex is essentially the crux of Lord Dex is like looking at a show, say like the office where below the line workplace, right? Okay. That's cool. But also we would like to see development in that we don't need it to be retreaded every season because that's what actually is a downfall for a lot of shows like that, where you look at the office, you look at, he brought up Brooklyn nine, nine and parks and rec. The downfall of all those shows is when they became stale and they just started regurgitating the same tied and true jokes every season. And that's why I said last week in our discussion, that I would like to see Mike McMahon and his writers not rely so much on true parody and Easter eggs and references and always bringing something in from a previous Star Trek. I would love to see them continue to do what they were doing from seasons one and two when it comes to substance and story and make their jokes, but build out your own ideas fully rather than always episode after episode relying on what came before. Yes. Because that does get old. We want to see what else you can do. All right. So briefly, David, we're already 20 minutes in the episode. Let's get into some of the ins and outs of this week's discussion. 
the synapsis mariner boimler tendy clash with their arc arch rivals a delta shift the cerritos engineers go on mandatory relaxation leave uh, directed by jason zurich and written by john cochran uh, this episode leaned into several star trek story tropes while also borrowing various familiar plot points from yeah. previous episodes of star trek and i'm talking about the shore leave scenario we have seen that so many times in Star Trek. <laughs> yes. The writer of the episode positions the USS Cerritos crew in a situation where they are essentially ordered to relax and they rendezvous with a Federation starship, the Dove, which was a ship that served as a health spa, offering numerous amenities for relaxation. Yeah. Now, speaking of Rick and Morty, this is almost the plot of Rick and Morty. Uh, the Rick and Morty episode where Rick sends Beth and Jerry to, <laughs> yes. uh, I think it's Nuptia 4. Nuptia 4. For a two-day couples counseling intensive in the episode. Uh, I think it was titled Big Trouble and Little Sanchez. Yes. And in that episode, it was a really smart episode. And it, it was. was about it was about marriage and problems in marriage and how people view each other. And how many times the way we view each other isn't really the accurate depiction. It's it's very um, one-sided you know, from our specific perspective. And there were l a little bits of that in this, you know, with the whole shore leave thing and having people uh, come, you know, face to face with their own, I don't know, work ethic, work uh, ethics. their inability to let go. But then at the end, you realize that this is what the engineers like. This is their relaxation. So they flipped it on us just a bit. But overall, not only was it borrowing from those classic Star Trek storylines where we see those short leave episodes, uh, but also they're borrowing some moments from from a strong episode of Rick and Morty as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I saw that. I saw that also right away is the connection to that, because that's one of my favorite episodes of Rick and Morty. Because it's a of, good episode. Because of how like poignant at the very end, it all comes to it's such comes a powerful to episode. But here you see the similar tropes. But the problem that I feel is they're trying to establish this quote unquote relationship between Freeman and the engineers. And uh, and throughout the entire thing, I'm like going, are you, are they trying to say that Freeman doesn't listen to her crew? Uh, that she isn't the, the best captain in the world because like you know, no one listens to her or she doesn't listen to them. I'm not quite sure. It but felt. I'm not sure because they never really went there. They didn't, they tiptoed around it. Yeah. It would have been more interesting in my opinion, if they would have gone the direction that Rick and Morty and, went and the where problem, they actually make it say something, have this, have it say something, have exactly. this spa, this short leave say something about those characters specifically other than, the obvious, which is their engineers and that's their love. That's what they find relaxation yeah. or that's what they find relaxing, I should say. And if they would have taken that up a notch and used it to say something either a about Rutherford, who's, you know, one of our top tier cast or at least Captain Freeman, it, it would have worked a lot better than simply, you know, stating the obvious at the end. We, we know that the engineers love their job and, I mean, at the end of the day, the episode's talking about the 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 work ethic of of the of the Starfleet crew, but that's nothing new. We've we uh, always exactly, have understood yeah. 
that's the reason why humanity is at its peak is that in, its peak? in the Star Trek timeline. This is why it's a utopia because people have given up their selfish desires and have thrown themselves into meaningful work. So that's something that's not, I mean, David, if they would have said what I just said, if they would have said that in some way, if everything we saw was a metaphor in order to state that, that would have been better. That would have been better. Because but at even, the end of the day, what did this episode really say? Exactly. And that's the problem is like, they just didn't in this episode, they did. Lower Decks, especially this one, this is the first episode I've ran into, has been good about putting their, putting their point across in all of their episodes. I mean, that's one of the strengths that Mike McMahon has is because we all know he it will not hold back. Right. He will go right into it. And this is what my story is about. This is who I'm making fun of. I don't care. Right. Mm. But this is the first episode where I'm like going, he is, t or, or the writing, the writing team, at least for this episode is tiptoeing around so much that it's, at it's the, weird, right? At the end of the day, it doesn't feel like it's a lower decks episode. It doesn't. And then you throw in the fact that basically I'm so conflicted, David, because I, when you look at these four episodes of this new season, mm -hmm. it doesn't even feel like it's coming from the same writing team. This, in this particular, this is the first episode I'd feel that way. Yeah. I mean, the last episode I can understand because it's a lull. Like I, I was like saying, okay, we're going to, we're going to ramp down real quick and then we're going to ramp back up and they're going to set up their uh, narrative by this episode because it was the, it's the fourth episode in now I'm like, after this episode, I'm like, I still don't know what your what the point of the season's all about. Who is the main character at this point? Because you're not focusing on Mariner. You're focusing, maybe it's on Freeman. Maybe it's on the engineers. Maybe it's on Rutherford. Maybe it's on Boimler because of the whole bold Boimler thing. Okay. But you haven't established it. You're, you're leaving it up to us as the audience to make that assumption. And then that's to me is not, it, it's a red flag. It's a red flag that basically they don't know what the, what they were planning on doing this season, it, especially since you are coming Come on, off. Mike McMahon has over a year to write 10 episodes, 10 episodes. Come on. They're 25 minute episodes, bro. I can do that in, in, in probably three weeks. And, and here's the thing you <laughs> left off at second season on such a high note, right? The to be continued. That was awesome. You, and, and also the first brilliant. episode of this season was strong because it was a continuation of last year. Yeah. And then you had this, the, the, the continuation, but then right after that, nothing. Yeah. You, you didn't establish anything else. It's almost like, well, in my opinion, what you should have done is just basically left it to be continued. And the whole story of of episode one, you should have made that the crux of your, of your season. And I feel like they were starting off on a good, a good leg, I'd say, you know, on a good, uh, I don't know, you know what the saying is, David, but it seemed like they were starting off on the right track. There we go. When Captain Freeman popped in in very opening seconds, wearing the mask of what is it, Manuki? <laughs> Manuki. Or, I was like, that, okay, we're gonna get one of those over the top episodes that are super fucking epic. Yeah, I'm like, okay, I can get behind this. Maybe Mariner saves her mother. Maybe her mother sees sees something about herself while she's under the control or possessed by this ancient alien. 
okay, this could be cool. But then they put that away within three minutes. It seems like a lot of this season is teasing us and then they put it away. Oh, yeah. Just like the Packlet stuff. I feel like the Packlet stuff could have gone on a little bit longer. Oh yeah, easily. And especially like in this episode. I thought we were going to have a season where the Lower Decks crew was going to have to be in charge of the Cerritos. Of the Cerritos. And they were escaping <laughs> Federation entanglement in order to uh, save their mother. I was like, or Mariner's mother. I thought that's the direction they were going to go because that would be a very personal story but listen, in the grand scheme of things, this is a cartoon. It's more episodic mm -hmm. and that would be more serial. So I understand why they didn't go in that direction. However, it would have been nice to leave something hanging so that we can use it to parlay into the next episode. And it just, they just ended everything. And that's exactly what they did with, with the mask. It's just, Hey, cute little, cute little tease, cute little tease and to lead us to the spa. And that's the one thing that basically also this episode was just a lot of teasing. You tease the mask in the very beginning. You tease, obviously, the whole the, 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 the dove thing when you find out the engineers come up with a machine that literally can solve stress within seconds and remove that. But then, mysteriously, the, the doctor, which I like actually bringing in that alien because it's a good nod to the old animation with Eric's, uh, the... The doctor in the, on the ship has them destroy it because obviously that would not be good for their business if they just had this machine that could remove stress, but they have all these other therapies on the ship. And I thought that was a cool, but again, another tease. And the one biggest tease was the whole freaking, um, the caveman thing of ransom. When, why bring it up? What was the point of that? Where, where all of a sudden you bring up this whole story about Ransom turning into a caveman, falling in love, and making a churro, a churro wife of some kind. And that gets teased in the very end of carrying on. And it's like, what was the point of that? Yeah, there's a lot of little things like that. So I, I, let's move away from that just a bit, just because I don't want to sound like we're trolling the show, because I, I, don't, I don't hate the show. I just, I'm hoping it doesn't lose its direction Yeah, when we're only three seasons into a show. So that whole entire scenario dealing with the spa, it paved the path to some silly moments that parodied the Starfleet strong work, that work ethic, ethic, as I was saying. Also, they delved into some rich Star Trek mythos. As you had mentioned, the commanding officer of the Dove was Edosian. I believe is how you Edosian, pronounce that yeah, species, yeah. which I believe is now the second time we've seen a member of this species in Lower Decks. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, the last time we saw a member of this species was in the Star Trek animated series from the 70s. Yeah. Which I'm glad that this, uh, the Edosians are a very interesting alien species and I am dying for a live action depiction eventually we have to get a live action someday oh everyone wants to see like them make it a, a, a eric's 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 could easily the be eric's strange new worlds oh easily it would be awesome too because like honestly, honestly strange new worlds is the show that can bring him in yeah and the fact that they brought in the i like the fact that they brought in the adosian making it quote-unquote canon yeah that Okay, so Eric's can actually possibly because technically Eric's isn't canon. Technically, he's not canon because Star Trek: The Animated Series is technically not canon. Yes, 
even though I would argue that probably is at this point with all of the, <laughs> they have borrowed so many things from the animated series, the discovery, so many things from the animated series has found its way in Star Trek discovery to the point that you could argue, well, they're borrowing so much from the animated series that it's essentially canon at this point. Yeah. So Taz which is the name of the Adosian, then gives them a tour, the Cerritos engineers and Captain Freeman of the available facilities, which include a playpen of puppies, mud baths with mud from Teller Prime and wrecking rooms. Now, the Teller Prime aspect is interesting because it's a planet that was also... Oh, what's the details here? It's eluding me. Uh, Teller Prime... It was, was the, the inhabited prime planet of 61 Thai Gini system. Yeah. It was the home world of the Tellarites and a warp capable humanoid species. We all know who the Tellarites are. Yes. And it was actually depicted in Star Trek Picard mm-hmm. maps and legends from the first season of Picard. And also relative to Teller Prime is the planetoid Babel. Uh, Teller was located on the far side of the Andorian Empire, and that was actually alluded to in the Enterprise episode, Babel 1. Babel 1. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was interesting. And I do appreciate that. Even though I was talking about parroting Star Trek aspects, digging into the rich mythos of Star Trek is totally different. Yeah. Utilizing the world of, the star, of Star Trek simply adds consistency uh, to your program. It makes it, it makes it more substance in regards to your setting, your setting, you're establishing your setting. Fantastic. But again, how does this affect the, the people that we should be focusing on? Yeah. Cause there was another aspect, Dave also um, taking place aboard the Cerritos when Mariner and her group were running um, against the alternate shift, the Delta shift there was a few moments where I really felt like they could dig deeper. Like when Tendi said, Oh, I always wanted to explore the gray area. Yeah. I thought that was interesting <laughs> because that was a very meta moment because that's something that us Star Trek fans talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, the gray aspects of certain characters and is Star Trek going to go in that direction ever with certain characters or will it destroy the utopian idea? If we were to see that. And we know for a fact that they have found ways to explore the gray, but it was for the most part, it's always been in alternate versions of our lead characters. Like for examus, for examus, for example, Tom, I would say Thomas and I mixed the words up. <laughs> Thomas Riker. Yes. I mean, they, they're not going to turn Riker gray. Instead, they're going to create this scenario where the transporter has a, has an accident and creates a duplicate. And then you have a character now where you can explore the gray. Well, remember they actually even made the comment that Delta, the Delta shift was tied to the Maquis. Yeah. Why can't they yeah. be the Maquis? Yeah, and I'm like, like <laughs> really? Really? That was funny. When she said, so basically what Mariner was alluding to the fact that the Delta shifts are a bunch of douchebags that shouldn't even be in Starfleet. It's, it's Starfleet. And that sh- they should just go join the Maquis. Yeah. That was funny. Yeah. Okay, so David, this does bring us to our final thoughts. Let's get into, let's start with yours. Really briefly, I feel like most of our thoughts have been littered throughout the discussion. So if you just want to go into your score, that probably would be better. Okay, I'll start off right away with my score here. I have this set at a 76. 
It's the lowest lower decks episode yet. Um, that that's not, and that's not saying I'm not happy with lower decks. I'm enjoying myself, but I'm starting. This is the one that basically I feel like they could. It felt like they mailed it in. Like the 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 humor was something that they were really relying heavily on Star Trek tropes. I don't think the the jokes landed as well as they have in the past episodes. Um, from my count, only two of the jokes actually really landed that basically had me laugh. Going back, yeah, I can chuckle at some of the things like the Freeman. Uh, Freeman op- opening didn't have me laughing at first, but going back, it has me chuckling. But again, that shows that your humor just kind of fell a little flat. And when you're, when at this point, you're basically relying on the comedy to carry your story when you don't have a established myth arc shows a weakness in, in, in your writing right now in, in, in your season. So I'm hoping that next episode, we don't get a, another dip because I, I felt like last episode was a dip. This episode now feels like a further dip. I don't know if I could take another third fill, quote unquote filler episode and we have no establishment of anything. Yeah. Yeah, Dave, you're, you're not wrong. I pretty much agree with everything you had just gone through. So, you know what? I'm going to give this episode a 73%. Yes. Yes. Computer. <laughs> Sorry. My phone's going crazy, but yeah. So I'm going to give this episode a 73% on the RMD score as an RMD score. It's, it's not, I don't hate this show, but I, don't hate this I, show. I do feel like the show is losing what made it appeal to me. And hopefully Mike McMahon will take a step back or, or maybe, maybe we're in for a great ride the, the, for the final six episode. Who knows? We'll yeah. see. On that note, we must end. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.